Hey there, Twitter. It's Wednesday, which means you're halfway to your weekend, and we have a great show for you. Actor John Lithgow is here, so you stick right there, and we will see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. He's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM2DM. And Alex, I have an important question for you today. Are you quid pro or quo? Well, I would tell you that answer because there is a BuzzFeed quiz from David Mack that will help you all answer this question. And actually, I have taken this quiz. I don't want to spoil it. I want <laughs> so you to take the quiz. Take yeah, I want to know, are you quid pro <laughs> On live TV? Fine. <laughs> There's so much at risk. A quo, a pro, or whatever the hell. Okay, let's do right. this real quick. All right, so I think we have a okay. screen popping up. Yes, so this is the actual quiz that we have here. Uh, just if you are tuning in now, um, and Zach is going to take you in through all of these questions. Yes, so, so talk exciting. us through these. All right, okay, so the first question I'm being asked to decide the future of America is picking a donut. Um, and that's obviously a chocolate glaze with sprinkles. I support this. I support so, this. So there we go. Okay. Facts are facts, America. Um, and now I'm going to pick a honeymoon for a man. I do not have. Um, it's either going to be a New York, Paris, or Sydney. Paris, city of love. Interesting. I, love. I chose something different from that. Really? I chose Sydney. Interesting. Because I've, like, I've been to Paris before. I don't know. Okay, you want to go down now. Step a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that didn't. That came out way different. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Moving on. Moving on. Um, <laughs> pick a Game of Thrones character. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the Mother of Dragons. Who would pick Jon Snow? I don't know. Okay, I also picked the, the Mother of Dragons. There we go. So we one. have a connection there. And then choose a hat. These hats are all terrible. They are all not good. Not but good I'm hats. gonna go with the white hat because I'm gonna dye it black. Okay. Okay. Oh, Chris is. Oh, yes. Is a good one. There's Chris Pines, Chris Evans, and Chris Hemsworth. So this is where I'm going to go down under to Australia and pick me a uh-huh. Hemsworth. Okay. <laughs> and then pick a Halloween costume. Uh, I don't know who this older lady with the horns are, but that's not fun. So the robot or the this. Other. I can't imagine you in a robot costume like this. Yeah, we couldn't either. So, so we're not. We're going to do this one. Okay. Um, and lastly, a Kardashian. The question that will uh, determine. Where you are in terms of Russia and Ukrainian <laughs> interference in our democracy. Am I a Kim or am I Chloe or am I, uh, wait, what are the other names? Chloe, Kim, and. Courtney. Courtney. I'm a Kim. Ah, I'm pro. You got pro. Look at that. Uh, I got quo. Oh, so, so we're different. Yeah, it's an Australia different. thing. Paris and Australia is the Paris, <laughs> Australia. I also picked Kim. We picked different Chris's. I went with Chris Pine. Um, but these things were the necessary. Uh, I, items, I guess, to determine if what we are in these things. What I actually thought was really entertaining about this is it all really ends with the same thing, like no matter what your final answer is. Um, I think basically we all end up enjoying uh, discussing or reading how a top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine told Congress the president withheld military aid. Yeah, because and, if you were so willing forth. to take a quid pro or quo quiz, that usually means you may try to be a yes, or yes. try to be in the know. Well, it's really interesting to see that we have different Chris's because you're much more all-American and mine's... I actually appreciate that that's the takeaway from all this. It actually has nothing to do with this current news cycle, but it has everything to do with which of the Hollywood Chris's we enjoy. Yes, which superhero? Yeah. Like, mm. Exactly. So Look let's take that. it to the timeline. Are you quid, pro, or quo? Take the quiz, then tweet us using the hashtag AM2DM. All right. Well, here's a tweet from Addie Baird. The top U.S. diplomat to Ukraine was alarmed the U.S. insisted Ukraine help Trump with investigations in exchange for aid, money, and Democrats say it was the most damning testimony in the inquiry so far. Here's a tweet from Josh Dawsey. A statement from White House after Trump administration pick Bill Taylor testified all day. Quote, President Trump has done nothing wrong. This is a coordinated smear campaign from far-left lawmakers and radical unelected bureaucrats 
Waging war on the Constitution, there was no quid pro quo. Mm. We are going live from the district to discuss with BuzzFeed News reporter Addie Baird. Good morning. Hi. Hi. So, Addie, walk us through some of the standout moments from Taylor's testimony yesterday. So, Taylor's testimony was behind closed doors um, as uh, all of the um, impeachment inquiry depositions have been so far. Um, but his uh, opening statement, um, very quickly before the deposition was over, um, there were a lot of lawmakers saying that it was really, really remarkable. It was about 15 pages long. Um, they said that there were gasps and sighs in the room as he talked about it. Um, and the really big standout moment was that he really confirmed the sort of quid pro quo of it all, like you guys were talking about, um, that is at the heart of this impeachment inquiry, that President Trump withheld um, military aid from Ukraine in order to get uh, Ukraine to investigate the Biden family. And um, Bill Taylor really was was able to confirm that uh, to Congress yesterday. Well, let's talk about some of the uh, other pieces of this uh, testimony. Um, Why do we think that Trump wanted Zelensky to publicly announce an investigation into Biden? That would really... um, bring the heat to the Biden family, which is what Trump really wants. He wants the attention on um, Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. And he wants people asking questions about whether it was proper for um, Hunter Biden to be on this um, this board in Ukraine. Um, and, you know, Zelensky talking about it publicly, publicly saying that he's investigating the Biden family would really do that and really bring a lot of attention um, to the Biden family, especially while Biden is running for president. Um, and that's what Trump really wants is to, is to take a political rival down a notch. Mm. So also tell us what did we learn about this informal channel between Ukraine and the U.S. in regards to policymaking that we didn't know before? Well, it all really comes back to Rudy Giuliani, um, like just about everything right now. Um, Zelensky, uh, in, in this conversation um, with Zelensky that, that Trump was on, Rudy Giuliani was also there. Uh, Rudy Giuliani is not a member of the Trump administration. He won't even confirm that he's officially working as Trump's personal lawyer. Um, you know, he's just a lawyer working for President Trump. Um, and Taylor testified yesterday that Giuliani has basically created this irregular back channel um, that really goes around, uh, you know, the traditional U.S. foreign policy making. And Giuliani um, has been working with uh, officials in Ukraine, people uh, who are, are, you know, working with Giuliani, sort of his henchmen um, are doing uh, Trump's business in Ukraine. And so it's it's this sort of side shadow um, foreign policy you know, and, and foreign diplomacy that's going on through Rudy Giuliani that is uh, not standard at all. Well, I want to know what, uh, with this information from Taylor now, um, what kind of light it sheds on previous testimonies, especially uh, that of Gordon Sondland. Um, does this have any indication that it's possible Gordon Sondland committed perjury when he was talking to Congress? It's possible. Um, a Democrat last night um, on MSNBC said that they are considering um, they're considering perjury charges uh, against Sondland. What I will say is that um, another Democrat told me and some other reporters yesterday um, that none of the testimonies have contradicted each other. Um, and it's just been that some of them, like Taylor, have had much more extensive memories and, and been able to share a lot more information. Um, and so 
So I thought that that was interesting. I I think that Democrats certainly feel that Sondland did not give them the full story. Um, and, you know, where they'll go with him from here um, is, is a little unclear. It's, you know, I haven't heard a lot of talk about potential perjury charges, but um, it, it has been brought up. So, Eddie, walk us through how Republicans are responding to yesterday's news, especially Senator Lindsey Graham, who's been very, you know, aggressive against defending Donald Trump so far. Yeah, after these, so right now it's only House Democrats who are invest. Impeachment starts in the House and then it goes to the Senate. To the Senate. So right now it's only House Democrats who are handling. Well, it's it's um, it's it's House Democrats running it, but Republicans are also sitting in on these depositions. Um, but you know. Usually after these depositions, which have been going on for about a month, um, Republicans come out and they say that, you know, whatever the testimony was, it exonerated President Trump. And, you know, they believe that it should be made public and, um, you know, that that it goes against uh, the Democrats impeachment narrative. Um, and yesterday they really didn't have a lot to say. Um, a couple of reporters uh, asked them flat out if, if the testimony exonerated Trump and they didn't really answer the question. Um, Notably, Will Hurd, who is a Republican from Texas, um, said yesterday that he believed that withholding military aid in order, um, you know, it, for until Ukraine investigated the Biden family um, was something that he would consider potential, like potentially rising to be an impeachable offense. So there is some evidence that um, Republicans are concerned and could potentially jump ship. Um, as far as Lindsey Graham goes, he is the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, um, and Trump world is very angry at him for not doing more. They want him to be hauling in Democrats and questioning them about how they're handling the impeachment inquiry. Um, and, you know, there's there was a hashtag yesterday, yesterday that was like, where's Lindsay, I believe. Um, it doesn't actually make much sense um, in, in practice. Um, you know, Lindsey Graham has, like you said, been a really... Um, a really strong defender of President Trump, but they really got into it recently over Trump's decision to pull troops out of Syria. Um, and that, I think, has really frayed the nerves of, of both of them. Hmm. Well, it is all very interesting. Addie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Here's a treat from BuzzFeed News senior investigative reporter Jason Leopold. Scoop with a ton of news. Federal investigators probing a series of suspicious bank transactions by Giuliani, associate Lev Parnas, which had hallmark signs of money laundering and fraud. Also, person in Florida received a subpoena for documents about Parnas and Igor Fruman. Here's a thread from BuzzFeed News political reporter Emma Loop. The documents in question, some of which were previously obtained by BuzzFeed News, showed dozens of transfers totaling more than $3 million into accounts belonging to Parnas last year. The demand for the documents comes after at least one U.S. bank raised concerns about a series of suspicious transactions in Parnas's accounts, which had hallmark signs of money laundering and fraud, according to two senior law enforcement officers. Mm. Emma joins us now to discuss the story. Uh, good morning, Emma. Good morning. Let's start off with the documents. What is the grand jury asking for? So the grand jury asked for legal documents related to a previous civil case, and the bank records that we previously obtained were included in the documents that were turned over as a result of that request. So talk us through uh, some of the uh, suspicious transactions that you uh, documented in this particular story and, and kind of the most important things that we can glean from these documents. So the biggest transaction that, that really caught the attention of the bank was one for $263,000, uh, which is a round dollar amount, which kind of refers to the fact that there's no, no sense at the end of it. It's just 
$263,000. And this was a transfer from a company that belongs to Igor Fruman, one of the Giuliani associates, to a company that he and Lev Parnas, the other associate, control. Uh, and that transfer came the exact same day that a Russian national who has not been named, but who is in the indictment, sent Igor Fruman a $500,000 wire as part of this marijuana operation that they wanted to start up. And that led to some of the campaign finance charges against them. Mm. Well, the subpoena has extended beyond campaign finances. What information are they seeking now? So the simple fact that they are now looking for all of this information, uh, you know, asking for legal documents and getting all of these bank records uh, and after, you know, the fact that they've already been charged with campaign finance certainly suggests that this investigation is a bit broader than just campaign finance. So uh, speaking of it being a bit broader, there were a lot of names in this story that I didn't recognize uh, previously. So can you talk us through who are some of the most notable people um, on the receiving end of some of this money? Uh, what should we know about them? Right. So some of the some of the people who are involved in, in these transfers are actually family members of the men who were indicted uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of them is Svetlana Parnas, uh, Lev Parnas's wife. Uh, she's involved in a lot of these transfers, including some transfers, or at least one transfer, to a woman named Katie Korea, who is the wife of David Korea, who was also indicted as part of the, the Merrill marijuana operations scheme. And, and it looks like they were sending several round dollar, thousand dollar transfers to Katie Korea. It's not sure, it's not clear why they were sending these transfers to his wife and not him. Uh, we don't have that answer yet, but those are just some of the figures who are, who are mentioned in this story. Mm, so Emma, Fruitman and Parnas knew how to spend money. <laughs> we're learning really well. How were they using it in the entertainment space? Well, we've reported previously, and, and we included some more charges in this story about just the lavish spending that they were doing. Um, one at a nightclub in Las Vegas, where you see artists like Trey Songs and and DJ Polly D performing pretty regularly. Um, you know, nightclubs in Beverly Hills. Trump hotels in New York and DC. Uh, and in this most recent story, we talked about how at uh, key times in the indictment when they are allegedly in Las Vegas talking about this, this marijuana operation and meeting with political candidates, they're also racking up charges in Las Vegas, including thousands of dollars at the Palazzo, um, which is a hotel there. Uh, and then, you know, $500, for instance, at Barney's New York, the store that's kind of in the, the hotel complex. And so these guys definitely knew how to spend money. In our last story, we talked about how they uh, they racked up charges, uh, more than $1,000, I believe it was, in one day at Japanese restaurants. Uh, so sushi and that type of thing. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty shocking. <laughs> well, everyone needs to go read wow. the story because there's even like a really weird Backstreet Boys in sync yeah. tangential connection. So highly recommend it. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Backstreet Boys in sync. I mean, it's like my it is. Teenagers <laughs> oh, it's like, all over it's like, again. Yeah, exactly. I am Fruman. I'm joking. Later, Alex is down with actor John Lithgow. The Fire Tweets is up next. <laughs> Welcome back. It is time for Fire Tweets, and we're just up here musing about being quid pro quo. 
quo, pretty quo, pro, yo, pro, pretty quo, though. I know. We need to add a quid, right? Quid. To, our, the, to this mix. We should. I, we can make Seeking a rap. applicants. We should call Kylie Jenner. She's out here making new songs. Oh, my places. God. Girl, that would we be. You. We should trademark it. After that would be hilarious. Okay. All right. I'm going to get to these tweets. Okay. Diego, you tweeted, no one. The shampoo bottle while I'm showering. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I have to do Gaga like that? So it's supposed bad. to be like the shampoo bottle, like falling down, right? That's, yes, because you doing. know how it just suddenly like, hits. Yes, and you're like, it does. And you almost and fall. Like, oh my god, this is a whole thing. It's crazy yeah. ghosts are real. The ancestors are always watching you. All right, well, Doyle, you treat it. By the way, I used to work in McDonald's. The ice cream machine was never broke. It just takes three hours to clean. So we used to say it was broke, so we didn't have to serve you lot. Cheers, XO. This is so rude. It makes so much sense, too, because how is it? There is an app you can use to find where there's a working ice cream. Wait, I'm uh, sorry. You're yes, kidding me. I think it's still around, but they launched one or someone launched one. McDonald's they, did. Yes, I think it was crowdsourced to where you could like say the ones what? working here. McDonald's didn't. It was someone else. I know, no, but I, but I just, like, people are consuming this yes, for so much. Because that, this is an issue. They're always broken. I had no idea it was, like, and it's like that much of an issue. And it's, like, I think, a cone. Because it's, like, so, I get like, it, I get it. Just drive through, girl, get your little coins out, and Get you know you a little what? ice cream. More of a McFlurry gal, but I guess this would also <laughs> stop those. That's true. Yeah. Charlie, you tweeted. My guardian angel headed to her lunch break till she notices I done got myself into some shit again. Oop. You know, she <laughs> thought she had a break. She and then like, I just. I'm going home. Never mind. Overtime. <laughs> I guess I'm turning back around. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Sharika, you tweeted. Me holding back the good news until it's fully confirmed. It's like just. So hard to hold it in. I do that so much because you're worried you're gonna jinx it, and then yes, you, it will not happen. Yeah. Or you gotta like walk it back. I know when it doesn't happen, you gotta explain to people why, and it's just super embarrassing. And so you end up looking like this character from SpongeBob. Yes, all bloated. Yes, tweet of the day. Great. Comes from Imani. Is it humanly possible to pack for a trip and keep your place clean? Find out next week on No Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm obsessed with this because when I go out of town, because we both travel a lot for different things, and I have to pack the night before and make sure my house is spotless. Yeah. Because this would stress me out if I come home and a bomb exploded. This is why I will never have like a partner or a dog, because you would come home to a mess. Or like you also want them to be in tune with you and yes. like make sure that they keep things clean. Yes, I want to come home with candles burning, music playing. A mood. Of Essentially, you're saying you want to come home to like a hotel. I was just about to say that. <laughs> God, I'm high And a butler or something. I'm but are you able to accomplish this on your Yeah, trips? I do. I mean, the thing is, like, I also really like coming home mm-hmm. to a really clean apartment. So I try to clean it up, and usually it's somewhat clean there we go. when I get back. A person who isn't this way is my dear sister, I believe. Oh, really? She is kind of notoriously messy. Oh, and so no. I think when she got back from her trip, I'm assuming the house was a little in disarray. But if, it's like, if you don't care about the mess, then who cares? You know, yes. it's all about like, if you care, if it's something you care about, like I could not live like I, that, but I would have a if you're fine out. with it, I would live have your life. Out. No, yeah. well, I guess we're all different out there. So let's take it to the timeline. Do you have to clean your house before you go away? Tweet us using the hashtag AMTDM. Hashtag hell yes. <laughs> I'm also hashtag hell yes, yes. <laughs> well, later, Alex is sitting down with the legendary actor, John Lithgow. But up next, more to DM. Here's a treat from the BBC. New Jersey pupils with $75 of lunch debt banned from field trips and proms. Here's a tweet from Erica Castro. I truly hope no school district will ever consider enforcing a policy that would bar students with lunch debt from extracurricular activities. Lunch debt is not a choice. It's what happens when we don't pay our working families enough and provide resources. And here's a treat from Molly Jung Fast. 
what the fuck is wrong with Cherry Hill School District? And I want to echo, what is the fuck wrong with you girls? Because you're not letting these kids live their lives and punishing them for something that's out of their control. It's just terrible. Yeah, so like these these kids in the school district mm-hmm. now can't go to prom until they fulfill their lunch debts. I guess the thinking of the administrator who was behind this um, was that this is actually like a fairly affluent yes. area. Like everyone has money, I guess, yeah. is the assumption. And what's so sad here is that someone came forward, and you know, we've talked about this a few times on the show, around how school debts and lunch debts are really impacting young people around yeah. the country. Every presidential campaign in the Democratic Party, almost all of them have plans to deal with this. So it's a big issue right now. But we've talked about it before, and every time a rich person comes out and is like, I'll write the check. But this district has said, no, girl, we don't want your coin. Instead, we'd like to punish these kids. And before this took action, or this is about to take action, where they can't go to prom or school trips or buy a yearbook because they have $75 plus of debt, um, they were saying, you know what? Actually, let's just make them eat tuna fish sandwiches every day. Tuna fish. Which This is like, I feel like something out of like, a movie like it reminds me of like Annie or something you know yeah. like it just it's like a caricature of the horrible ways that like kids are punished for, for big- poverty but it's actually real and to me like this is just so horrible and pointless because it's like first of all all that you're doing is feeding into further stigma mm-hmm. um, about being poor you're also like depriving these kids of their opportunities and uh you know then beyond that it's like they're gonna lose out on these different kinds of like social events. And I would even argue that if you are food insecure, how does that impact your capacity to show up and be present at school and be a good student? So I don't know, I just think this is really messed up. Like kids go through so much. You know, when we were kids, you know, we, we know how it was. You go, you're stressed out about, you know, how you're gonna dress, your homework, family stuff, all these issues. And to now think, you know, that you can go to school and that your lunch bill is going to make sure that you are treated as a second class school student because your parents are dealing with institutional structural issues in which do not allow them to give you $3 a day to pay for food is absurd. And it actually doesn't fix the problem. I think if we're going to have a conversation about poverty and access to food and how to help people rise out of poverty, you would have classes or abilities for people to like, maybe there's a barter system or maybe there's an after school program. There has to be something more holistic that we can do than punishing kids by starving them and then also saying, don't go to prom. Like, my God, this is awful when these kids have nothing to do with this. And if you are one of these affluent parents who has not paid your child's lunch debts, like, you're making this bad for everyone by just also feeding into the idea that, like, this is an okay form of punishment in general. Like, I think just the whole idea of punishing kids for not being able to pay for food, like, it's just terrible that this becomes more normalized Mm -hmm when lots of school districts respond like this. Exactly. I actually, in my opinion, I see no reason to penalize kids for not being able to afford yeah, their food. Yeah, yeah. Period. Yeah. Fact. Public schools, you should pay for them. I don't know. But let's take it to the timeline, y'all. How do you think schools should handle student lunch debt? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. Tweet us your ideas. Maybe you have a plan, like Elizabeth Warren, because I'd like to hear it, because I don't see the rationale here. Yeah, I don't get it either. Well, up next, I'm sitting down with actor and poet satirist John Lithgow. Stay tuned. I'm joined now by award-winning actor John Lithgow. You know him from Third Rock from the Sun, Harry and the Hendersons, The Crown, and so much more. Now he's playing Roger Ailes in the upcoming film Bombshell and has a new book of poetry out called Dumpty, The Age of Trump in Verse. Welcome. Yes, I feel welcome. Good. I'm really excited to talk to you about this book. And I want to start off, actually, um, with a tweet from uh, Dan Diamond, who said, the front page of the New York Times website on day 1000 of the Trump administration, reads like a parody prediction from 2016 of what Trump's presidency would look like. And our own Brandon Wall actually replied to this tweet and said, right down to the John Lithgow op-ed, 
Did you ever think you would be writing an op-ed for the New York Times about the president of the United States? No. Can you imagine the nerve? <laughs> <laughs> well, what made you decide to get so vocal about it? Well, Trump has a way of uh, making your blood boil. Yeah. You know, on both sides of the political spectrum. Uh, but I, at a certain point, I just thought, well, I've got to do something about this. And being an entertainer, I decided to entertain people on the subject. Certainly. And one of the things that was uh, fun about reading this book is revisiting just all of the stuff that has happened. Like, I forgot about so many you of the You forget. People. That's the yeah. thing. You forget so quickly. And he makes you forget because there's always some outrage that just, they come at you like cars in a freight train. Well, or it's like over the so over the top ridiculous that it strikes me as it would be almost a challenge to write satire about yeah. it. Yeah, tell yeah. me a little bit about Although that. Although satire at the moment is better than it's ever been in in the country, so he's a good subject. Mm -hmm. No, I my I finished the last of my poems on April first, which now seems a century ago. Think of all the things that I did not address, but on the other hand, everything before April first would be forgotten if it weren't for things like this. That is very true. You'll have to give us a, a whole other book of just the stuff that has happened over the <laughs> summer. Actually, I've been writing little tiny poems and putting them on Instagram just to keep current. Okay, good. Well, one of my favorite poems was Cavanotti, was, uh, and I'm going to ask you to read a little bit, but um, first, do you want to also tell me about one of your favorite poems, too? Oh, I don't know. It's hard. It's like picking your favorite child. Uh, <laughs> um, I one of my favorites is called The Ostrich's Lament. It's about Paul Manafort, but it's not about Paul Manafort. Mm -hmm. It's about Paul Manafort's ostrich skin jacket. Mm -hmm. Which also, that was one of those things that I was like, I forgot about you that, forget. and then I was reminded. You forget. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully this will be a memorable book. Okay, so I have, uh, this is open to Cavanotti. Okay. You could do, if you could read us a little bit of it. All right, you did pick one of the dangerous ones. <laughs> I, I don't often go after Supreme Court justices, but this is called Cavanotti, and this will remi remind you of certain congressional hearings last year. Cavanotti, chosen to parse constitutional law, he's Brett Kavanaugh. A Bethesda-bred jock from elite Georgia prep, he's Brett Kavanep. Renowned for a weird predilection for beer, he's Brett Cavanier. <laughs> Beach blanket blowouts with PJ and Squee, he's Brett Cavanee. Connected forever with barfing and boofing, he's Brett Cavanoofing. A boozy assault on Christine Blasey Ford, he's Brett Cavanord. Waggling his dick, in a Yale co-ed's face, he's Brett Cavanace. Sifting through muck for Counselor Star, he's Brett Cavanagh. Sitting on secrets for Cheney and W, he's Brett Cavanubia. <laughs> the Federalist Society's bright golden boy, he's Brett Cavanoy. Declaring a hit job by Bill and by Hillary, he's Brett Cavanillery. Unleashing a rant that outdid Justice Thomas, he's Brett Cavanamus. Backed in the end by the Senate Boys Club. He's Brett Kavanub. Of all the fine judges that POTUS could choose to sit in the company of Charles Evans Hughes and Warren and Brennan and Brandeis and Marshall, magisterial jurists, wise and impartial, instead dumpty fingered this callow young cad. The feeblest justice we'll ever have had. Hardly the Solon our founders foresaw. He's Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, I, I love this because it is both 
it brings some levity to something that was really hard for so many people to watch. Yeah. What is your process when you're writing about these things? Like, break it down for me. Like, what does it look like when you sit down and write one of these poems? Well, uh, I remember asking Tom Waits how he wrote songs, and he said, well, some of them are made of wood, and some of them are made of paper. They're all different. Uh, a lot of them I chose as models very familiar poems, hmm. like poems by Lewis Carroll uh, or Edward Lear, The Owl and the Pussycat, The Walrus and the Carpenter, mm -hmm. uh, or John Macefield's I Must Go Down to the Sea Again about Betsy DuVos. Mm -hmm. I must go down to the sea again, to the lonely sea in the sun. I'll, I've got a flotilla of 10 big yachts and I'll pick my favorite one. Etc. Yes. <laughs> and I just think of a hook and just gnaw it like a bone. Mm. Uh, I need complete silence and about eight hours of unbroken concentration. Mm. And by mm. God, I get it done. And then you can do it. Well, um, before uh, this book came out, you were actually playing Donald Trump um, this summer in a play called The Investigation. You also recently did a Giuliani impression <laughs> that a lot of people are reacting to Very um, this summer. So you've, you've played some of the people who are uh, have appearances in this book. Um, talk to me about the Giuliani uh, impression that you did. It happened about 12 year, hours ago. <laughs> I did it on Stevens, on Colbert's show, the, on Late Night, last night. It was chaotic. I was there as a guest. And they called and said, well, will you do Giuliani too, the way Laura Benanti does Milan? Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, sure. I brought along my actual vintage Buckaroo Banzai teeth. What? My Dr. Lizardo teeth. I still have them after 25, 30 years. And they painted them bright white and I clicked them in and I was... I wouldn't say I was Giuliani to the life, but I was Giuliani. <laughs> I was a certainly, certainly a version of uh, Giuliani. You gotta, you, if you haven't seen it, Alex, you got to see it. Can you give me any Giuliani right now? <laughs> oh my, Rudy, 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 <laughs> I mean, I, I'm the last person I would have ever picked to play Rudy. Really? But uh, I, I leaped at it. But when you're getting into character uh, for some of these public figures, um, I mean, how do you avoid making it a caricature of who they are? Well, uh, it, I did. I was certainly a caricature of Rudy Giuliani. But Roger Ailes, Winston Churchill, uh, I even played Bill Clinton last year on mm -hmm. Broadway. Uh, again, there are a variety of choices. Clinton and Hillary in uh, Nicholas uh, Nath's remarkable play are deliberately not impersonations mm -hmm. at all. But I tried to be as accurate as I could with Roger Ailes. Mm -hmm. uh, it was useful, the fact that people are not very aware of what he really looked and sounded like. Mm -hmm. He himself didn't like to be seen that much. Mm -hmm. But we tried to make it very accurate. And I was helped by an enormous fat suit, extraordinary mm -hmm. makeup, uh, and as much research as I could do, mm. uh, as I say, everything is different. Mm -hmm. F just, just technically, there was heavy prosthetic makeup for Ailes playing Winston Churchill. I didn't use mm -hmm. any prosthesis mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And yet my Ailes makeup artist was the man who created the great makeup for uh, Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as I say, there are lots of different approaches. Um, now, for Ailes, was there anything in particular that was the most challenging aspect to play about him? You mentioned that uh, there wasn't a lot, I guess, uh, about his, his personality because he wasn't quite as public. It was 
nothing was challenging. It was easy as pie. Really? It was hard work. It was very meticulous. The only hard acting is bad writing. And it's a huh. brilliant script by Charles Randolph. You'll see. It's a great movie. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I, I interviewed uh, Gretchen Carlson here, and we so we talked about some of the in-real-life in wow. aspects of it. Um, you know, one of the things about, I guess, Ailes that is so striking and, and something I'm curious about is how do you get into the mindset of someone who has such alleged serial predation? I mean, um, someone who has been painted as just such a villain. Do you have to try to understand someone like that to be able to play them? You too. You do. You make an effort to understand him. That's the whole challenge. I mean, I'm in the business of empathy. That is finding out what makes people tick, why they are driven to behave the way they do. And that goes for people who do very, very good things and people who do very, very mm -hmm. bad things. Uh, the most fascinating research I did on Ailes was tracking down a friend of mine from the 1970s mm -hmm. who in those days worked with Roger as his uh, co-producer, his mm -hmm. associate producer on, on New York theater. Mm -hmm. Ailes had the ambition wow. to be a Broadway producer back wow. then. And to just hear my friend Stephen talk about Roger in those days, he actually was kind of upset by what history has done to Roger because he said, for all the despicable things he ended up being accused of and charged with and guilty of, no one says a word about what fabulous company he was, how he had this boisterous and challenging mm. sense of humor. He was capable of laughing for 30 seconds at a stretch, at a single joke. Uh, he was very challenging to his own conservative clients for being too right-wing mm. and for not having enough empathy. Very, like, things that take you aback. It's, yeah, that, that sounds very so disarming. They're so opposite yeah. what, than the conventional wisdom and the, what my own expectations were playing the part. But watch the film, because at every point, not to make him sympathy, sympathetic, but to have sympathy with the devil. I mean, hmm. to find out what drives him and how it's very likely that what drives him is something that he himself is deeply ashamed of. Mm -hmm. That makes it a much more fascinating uh, dilemma mm. playing the part. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say, I will definitely be seeing that movie every time a new trailer comes out. I am like hooked to I, my, like everyone else, I am hooked to my it's, computer. I think it's a major film. Yeah. And certainly the first great film of the Me Too movement. Mm. Well, I could not let you go without asking you at least one third rock from the sun question. My favorite thing. So we're seeing, I know, I feel like you get asked this question every couple of years. Now we are seeing like a whole new tide of different shows being rebooted. Third rock from the sun reboot, would you ever do it? Well, I'm, I would never say no to anything. Third Rock, my only hesitation is that it was the perfect experience. Mm. And I, I, I'm a little wary of returning to anything and sort of have it be anything less than what it was. It was a, it was a perfectly wonderful six years. And it was, it was a youthful game. I'm, what, 20 years older now. And I, for one thing, it was high energy. It, 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 your mind had to be so quick. I'm slowing down. I mean, that can't be. Come on. <laughs> this slow, book, no, that can't me. be true. Well, yeah, I just told you I take eight hours <laughs> to write two stanzas of a poem. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it has been really fun getting to talk to you. Um, right. I wish I could keep you here to read me more poems, but we have to end it there. So thank you so and, much. And you have to see me play Rudy Giuliani. I, like yes, yes. I, I, definitely, <laughs> I definitely will check that out. Well, Bombshell hits theaters in December. And Dumpty, The Age of Trump in Verse is out now. Up next, Zach is talking with Rob Cordry about his new show, The Unicorn. Comedian and actor Leslie Jones tweeted, You guys have got to check out The Unicorn on CBS. It's really fucking good and funny and very well written. The actors in this are top shelf. And actor Rob Corddry, star of The Unicorn, joins me now. Good morning. I wish we could put that, like, you know, above the title of the show, the, on our promos. <laughs> like, really fucking good, Leslie Jones. You, I think that could happen. It's not... Doesn't feel CBS, uh-huh. but uh, I don't know. We'll CBS see. CBS is changing. You we'll know, you see. have a good they're, fight. Yeah, it's they're becoming really like edgy, edgy. Yeah, you guys sure. are really leading the way. I think on really great content on television. Yeah, sure. So I'm gonna well, put, I'm gonna call the executives because I know your that. mouth to God's ear. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. I also want to say right yes. now, you're it's it's a bummer that you're behind this. Oh, my schedule. jumpsuit. Because <laughs> now nobody gets to appreciate your jumpsuit. Thank you. Can you go? Can you? I get, like, you're I'll not jump. gonna be. Able, there you go. He jumps. Look at that. In a jumpsuit. <laughs> In now a that, jumpsuit that's jumping. <laughs> well, thank you for the compliment. Well, let's talk about you. Okay. You play the best friend of a man who lost his wife, and mm. you're trying to help him navigate the dating world as the in-demand unicorn of a man. Let's take a look at the clip before we jump in. It's like me with high school jazz band, right? I practiced my fingering all summer long for that audition. And when I didn't get first sax, I was devastated. Despite all that fingering, I could not satisfy my band teacher. Yeah, he just doesn't hear it. Hear what? <laughs> People are laughing in the back over that clip. <laughs> that's about as edgy as CVS gets yeah, right but there. That's quite good, it's quite yeah, good. Fingering. Yeah, fingering. So what, what drew you to this role? Uh, cash, I love mm-hmm. money. I, I love to, I will, I will I'll eat it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> um, no, this is, uh, my, my friend uh, Walton mm-hmm. Goggins drew me to this role. He called me and he was just like, I got it, buddy. I got the thing. I got the show we can do and then retire and die. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, yes. I was like, yeah. I, for, first of all, I'll just do whatever Walton says, yes. you know? Uh, so um, I, I interrupted him halfway mm-hmm. through and I was like, where's the sign up sheet? I'll do it. Okay. Um, so yeah, just, just uh, Walton Goggins. Okay, Walton got you. Yeah, together. he's our fearless leader. So in real life, how would you rate yourself as a wingman to your friends around you? Did that kind of contribute to why you thought the show was going to be so good for you? Yeah, I don't really even know any. I've been married for 17 years. Okay. It's hard to know. Uh, it's hard to even remember what a wingman's supposed to do. I think I would be good in that I would just be like a, a goalie. Mm-hmm. Because... You want to separate uh, your friend and uh, and the woman from uh, all of uh, the other friends, you know. Oh. So you're a good wall. <laughs> Just be a big wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good wall. Okay. I just you, play defense. Oh, God, that's a football reference, which we're going to get to in a bit. But up first, you tweeted, I love this cast and this show, and I love live tweeting with Sloan. Sloan says, Yeah, me too. Great. Uh, I don't know. Don't tweet this. <laughs> so why did you did live tweeting the unicorn with your 13-year-old daughter Sloan become such a thing for you? I don't know. She was there. And uh, <laughs> we were watching it together. We watched the premiere together in the next week. And uh, she's really funny mm-hmm. and and kind of quirky. And and I said, uh, yeah, you want a live tweet with me? And she was like, absolutely. What's live tweet? <laughs> um, 
And uh, so I just basically just just yeah just logged whatever she was doing and okay. saying, and it turned out to be really really funny or, or and really fun for me at yeah. least. Like I think next time if I can work it out, I'm gonna have my mother and her wife mm-hmm. and Sloane all together all together live tweet. Are they funnier than you? Or are you the no? Funny wife? What are you talking? Because like it seems like you're stealing their material a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's it's. Uh, it is exactly what I'm doing. Okay. It's exactly what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah, I'm well, just mining gold. No, I'm for everyone, gold. Sloan is the next star. She's gonna come take your role soon. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. She can have it. Okay. All right. Well, you have what has been known as really sarcastic energy. I think GQ sure. called you what did they say? Hollywood's a most lovable asshole, which Aww. is a really nice thing to say. Where does that sense of humor come from? Uh, you know, I grew up in Boston, and it's like, you know, cold yeah. eight months out of the year. And people, you know, the, the, the way you say I love you to a buddy in Boston, you know, uh, it, it includes fuck you somehow. You know, it's, <laughs> it's um, everybody is, at least thinks they're funny. Mm-hmm. So um, I just remember my family dinners, we'd eat dinner together every night, and it was just a it was a bloodbath, you know? We were just at each other's, I mean, in a good way, like funny, like yeah. going after each other. And so I think I am, um, that that's kind of where it developed. I mean, just being in that environment. But like, uh, you know, I was, uh, then I came, moved to New York and I was in a sketch group and one of the guys in my sketch group was from Northern California, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, it's a lot uh, easier going there. Yeah, a little, back, little, little less high. mean than yeah. in Boston. And uh, I said something sarcastic, something typical I didn't even think about. And my friend Seth said, hey, man, you know what? You can be really mean sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Did that hurt? It didn't hurt <laughs> wow. as much as it was a, I, I, it, I appreciated the note. Okay. And it made me very conscious of uh, sarcasm for sarcasm's mm-hmm. sake versus sarcasm as a tool in my arsenal, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and he really, I've got to credit him with, mm-hmm. with significantly like changing the way I thought about my point of view, yeah. my, my comedic point of view um, for the better. So thank you, wow. Seth, thank An you, awake- Northern California. An awakening, California got you to be more aware of your, your humor. I, uh, at least, uh, at least, uh, like broaden, okay. broaden it beyond. Uh, fuck you, you <laughs> fucking, yeah, fuck. I can't even remember what, what an insult in Boston was. Kumquat. Fuck you, you fucking kumquat. Uh, uh, is that a fruit? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. Move on from this. Because now I'm getting confused. Probably it could be a veggie. I don't know. <laughs> Something might be an animal. Okay, before I let you go, I have to talk to you about Ballers. Let's do it. Fifth, fifth and final season. And Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeted this: "Who's from Boston area? Yeah. I'll miss seeing you and the Rock on Ballers. Congratulations on five incredible seasons. Why do you think the senator loved your show so much? Oh my gosh. Well, I actually had the chance to ask her. That really? Very question. Yes. I, what did she say? I met her on uh, Sam B's show. Okay. And. Uh, I said, why, why? And you know, and she said, well, because when we were losing the election to Trump, when it became apparent, we just, my husband and I just shut the TV off and we indulged in this mindless uh, fun, <laughs> which Ballers is, it's just glitzy fun. Uh-huh. And, uh, but really like she is the financial policy senator. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and Ballers, as she explained to me, 
more than I knew about the show. <laughs> she said, um, it, it's different people at different stages of their financial growth, whether mm -hmm. they've lost, had money and lost it, um, have money for the first time and are spending it, uh, whether that be wisely or not, and, and, um, and, and taking care of your money for the future mm -hmm. and not, and then there's also like the sort of man, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, trying to screw everybody out of their money. So it was very relevant yeah. to her. You know, it's funny. And Gosh, a lot of people, a lot of people like that, that tweet, like mm -hmm. it thrilled me to no end that she, that she posted that. And a lot of people, of course, you know, and the responses were like, oh yeah, she's pandering. <laughs> like she's pandering to that, that coveted ballers demographic, yes, the right? big ballers voting <laughs> yeah. block. Oh, uh, yeah. But, and I was like, no, I mean, I, what I know about her, the conversation I've had, like, it's legit. She likes the show. She likes the show. It's, it's crazy. And so many people do love the show. You know, it was a really, really big show for a lot of us. And what are you going to miss most about working with The Rock and the rest of the cast now that it's over? Uh, what am I going to work about, miss about working with The Rock? Probably his hugs. He, has he looks like a big hugger. A good big hugger. man. He has the softest. So he'll he'll hug you like this. He'll get you, and then he'll do one of these. He rocks. Rocks. He rocks. The rock rocks. I love. And this. he'll go. Sometimes he'll go. Shh, shh. And I'll be like, I'm not. So the rock's like a big teddy bear. He's like, hush. No, but. <laughs> And he'll sing songs. Have and, you fallen you know. asleep on his chest? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that would be the most uncomfortable place to fall asleep. It's a, it feels like hard. This. It's hard. Um, yeah. No. When you do, uh, when you do hug the rock, uh, it is a uh, you are uh, engulfed. Okay. He's as, he's as big. I'm sure a lot of viewers are getting really excited about yeah. that. So thank you for that cup of tea. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's this is great. Joy. No, this is great thank to have you. you. It's great. It doesn't even feel like work when you're fun. So thank yeah. you for that. Oh, good. You can watch Rob and the Unicorn on Thursday nights on CBS. Up next, we're talking about the Real Housewives of Orange County. Here's a tweet from Bravo Pinions. I feel like I'm the only one who doesn't want Tamara fired from The Real Housewives of Orange County. Homegirl makes the show work. Her arms are so toned because she be stirring that pot up. Joining me now to talk about Tamara Judge and this surprisingly queer season of Real Housewives of Orange County is writer Lewis Peitzman. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I am obsessed with the Tamara Bronwyn uh, storyline on the season, and you wrote about it in the real sapphic undertones of Orange County um, for your newsletter, um, High Drama. So can you just tell us a little bit about what is going on between these two? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's always been a lot of, like, subtext between housewives. They love to make out. You know, they, they have fun. They drink a lot. Um, but this season with Bronwyn and Tamara, uh, it seems like there's something a little bit more going on there. Bronwyn seems very into Tamara in a way that I read as queer. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you also yeah. are getting that vibe. I felt like it was it was at least lasted as like a three-episode arc for what I'm caught up to, where it like builds to the moment. They're talking about it separately in their own interviews. And right. I was like, this reads as bisexual to me. Right. Like, I mean, there's always a question of like, what's, you know, what's for the show? What's performative? Right. Like, viewers love this. But at a certain point, it feels like Bronwyn might actually be in love with Tamara, <laughs> which I would <laughs> love to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the, the episode I'm caught up to, and sorry, everybody, we're about to have some spoilers here, um, is when they have a, a pretty serious makeout while they're all at dinner in, I think it was in San Diego. They have a very tongue-heavy kiss, yes. Yes, they do. And actually, Tamara has since posted on her Instagram that Bronwyn jumped on her while she was passed out and kissed her, which seems like she's kind of changing the story. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, that's not great. I don't, yeah, I didn't have that context. I haven't seen that tweet. But I do think even in the episode when you're watching, it does seem that Bronwyn is more into whatever's happening than Tamara is. Mm -hmm. So it's a question of sort of like, is this a one-sided thing? Mm. Hopefully there was consent involved for any subsequent making out. Mm -hmm. Well, Curtis Jensen tweeted, Shannon and Vicky policing everyone's sexuality and making barfing faces at the suggestion of lesbianism says everything I need to know about their character. Why do you think they're so bothered by Tamara doing this? I mean, I, I will give Vicky some credit here, and I think that she's bothered by anything Tamara does that's like, <laughs> that's like you know, youthful. And not, I mean, she, Tamara's a grandmother, as Vicky loves to remind everyone. So I think she just kind of believes in decorum and, and huh. sort of behaving properly. I don't know if it's homophobic. Um, I don't doubt there's like a, a little bit of that there, yeah. but I think it's more just like, she doesn't like when Tamara's sloppy. Right, she doesn't. And I, I sometimes I think that she's just jealous of the other friendships that oh, Tamara's sure. making. I mean, yeah. Shannon, Shannon's definitely, there is some jealousy there. Totally. And, you know, and, and Vicky was downgraded this season to a friend of the housewife. Mm -hmm. So Bronwyn is a new addition, um, swooping in and becoming part of the Trace Amigas. And, and, and you know, now really getting close to Tamara in, in, in ways Vicky never has. Well, you also notice that there is some more queer subtext between, uh, is it Emily and Gina? Yes, um, tell yes. me about that. Um, you know, that's just something that I, that I, you know, it's less overt. There's no making out. Um, there's something about the way that Emily talks about Gina. I mean, she says, like, you know, Gina's the only person who makes her feel this way. And when, when Gina won't text her back, she just feels this, like, you know, this intense sadness. And I mean, like, we've all had that crush, especially on a straight yeah. person. And I just feel like there's something, like, that's so evocative about that to me. I have to tell you, like, it totally, just as you're saying that, it really reminded me of when I had a crush on a straight friend. And I was, like being possessive of them and like wanted all their attention and right. time. And you're like, this is actually not a normal friendship Right, you're like, what am, I, what am I mad about? They're, they're hanging out with other people and it's like, no, they, they're not in love with me. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we are so starved for queer representation in Real Housewives uh, of Orange County and I think, I mean, even more broadly in some of the other seasons um, that I had to think about Fernanda Rocha, who was yes. the one lesbian in yes. Real Housewives of yes. Orange County. Can we like... Pour one out for her right now. Absolutely. Like, can you remind me who she was? And yeah, she was, um, you know, she was a, sort of a, a friend of, but she was barely on the show. She really wasn't on very much. I, I, all I remember about her really is that Alexis Bellino um, was openly homophobic about her and saying <laughs> that she didn't agree with sort of, um, you know, her, her lifestyle choice or whatever Alexis called it. Um, I do hope Alexis has evolved by now. Yeah. But, you know, um, Orange County is traditionally very conservative and, and very Christian and, and has sort of those. Um, old-fashioned ideals, but um, yeah, we could really use like an openly queer housewife yeah, on like, one please. of the cities. You know what, they brought, uh, Alexis came back for like one episode this season yeah. or something, like I would love to see Fernanda just randomly I, show up. I would up. also love to see that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, any any other, you know, we had um, Barbara Kay on New York Housewives who is pansexual. Oh yeah, that's so, right, that's right. So, um, you know, it, it's happening. Bravo is, is a little slow on these things, even though they have a huge queer fan base, but yeah. um, I'd love to see more of it. So let's uh, just catch up to last night's episode. Um, Bronwyn, Tamara, and Eddie, uh, Tamara's husband, were actually all talking about the kiss. Um, do you think we're going to see more sexual tension for the rest of the season? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Especially because it's, I, I mean, I think it's genuine. I think that Bronwyn is actually pining for Tamara. So I'm sure we'll see more. And I think also just like knowing sort of um, what kind of reaction that got. They're going to want to keep playing it up. Okay, well, we'll definitely have to have you come back and talk me through it because I, I'm, like, obsessed with this storyline on The Real House of I'm Orange County. always down. Wonderful, <laughs> Liz. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Be sure to subscribe to his newsletter, High Drama, for more excellent Housewives content. Up next, more AM to DM.
Hey there, welcome back. It's now time for Add Us, and we asked you to take a BuzzFeed quiz and tell us if you are quid pro or quo. Paolo Mata got pro as her result and tweeted. Honestly, these are my favorite flavor of BuzzFeed quizzes. One point for you, I just, a fellow pro. <laughs> I wanted to jump right into that because I one thing I love about being at BuzzFeed is these quizzes are so fun and there's always a quiz for anything and I'm not getting paid to promote these quizzes. I just know that like I was watching Succession <laughs> the other time. I guess I am. Yeah, no, paid. the Succession the but, Succession one, people, like everybody, the whole internet like, was obsessed yeah. with it. So I think like we should keep bringing these quizzes on because it's fun to watch and also we don't always agree on everything. We don't. Because that's a big rumor. We so don't. Alex for, for once, for once, I was quo, it was and you pro. were pro. No, I'm gonna get a tattoo. Okay, we asked, "How do you think schools should handle uh, student lunch debt?" And Jeff Law tweeted, "They should accept community donations to help pay it off until we have universal school meals for all students. Universal school meals is the only permanent solution that will end school lunch debt and lunch shaming for good." Um, agree that we should have universal school lunches. Yeah. Wild to me that uh, in one of the wealthiest nations in the world, with uh, some of the, we've, we've a lot of food here, apparently, that this would even be an issue at all. And also the fact that in one of the wealthiest counties in the country won't let people pay for their other people's lunches is very bizarre. Yeah. Uh, I do like this idea of a community being involved because it does allow for you to create space and take care of each other. But honestly, why are we paying for it? I have an idea. What? Let's just eat the rich for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, someone works for Senator Elizabeth Warren. No! <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm just not. You know. I like that. They'd be delicious. Like high protein, low carbs. Exactly. Like a steak. All right, okay. following our conversation with Rob Cordry, Sandy tweeted, insults from Boston is what I'm here for. I, yeah. Which, a kumquat is a fruit. I thank you. Because we both yeah. up on that. Also, like, know your insult, you know? That's one thing, like, you, don't, you do not want to be, like, flying... Wait. Is out com- here without knowing the insults. Is using kumquat like next level, like bougie calling someone a fruit and gay? I don't know. I don't is know. that like long form homophobia? <laughs> Did I participate in long form homophobia? It is long, it may be. I don't really know. Wow. Or it's just like a tricks. funny sounding word. God, so. I'm upholding the heteropatriarchy. You are, you Jesus, are. through kumquats. Okay, well thank you to our guests, Addie Baird, Emma Loop, Louis Peitzman, Rob Cordry, and John Lithgow. We will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. 